PR Pro Cannabis Media. Hi, everyone. Welcome again to another very special edition of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. This podcast has been around since 2018, and I hope you've subscribed and enjoyed it over the years as much as we've enjoyed putting them together for you. We pride ourselves in finding interesting people to talk to in the cannabis industry, and we certainly have found one this week. His name is George Jage, and he is the founder of MJ Unpacked, but he's also the founder of MJ BizCon, which well, just that, recently, that, right? that's actually, I wasn't the founder of that company, but I did run it. Okay. So you weren't one of the, I was told you were the co-founder of MJ BizCon. Was that inaccurate? That, that is inaccurate. Okay. Good. I'm glad that you corrected me. And I really don't mind any time. In fact, over the next uh, few minutes in our conversation, if I do say something wrong, please correct me because I do want to make sure that everything we share with our audience is the proper information and factual because media has taken quite a hit over the last five or six years, let's just say. And I like to at least make sure that what we're responsible for is accurate. So thank you for that correction. And, um, and thank you for your integrity for journalism. That's so important in today's marketplace. And, uh, you know, getting, getting good, solid, reliable information is becoming a um, not a commodity anymore. It's, it's becoming a rarity. That's right. And, and, it, and it's a shame. But the consumer now, as you know, is in charge of their use of media. They get to pick and choose what they watch, when they watch, how they watch, and what they believe. And it's one of the reasons, actually, why I started this company was when I saw an interview with a CEO from a cannabis company. I'm pretty sure it was uh, Joe Lasardi from Massachusetts-based Cureleaf at the time. Sure. He was CEO. Um, he was on CNBC and the reporter grilled him about every myth, stereotype and stigma. And I could see that it was it really bothered me because I was like, first of all, the reporter did not do due diligence, any background on that person. And, and it seemed to be he was uh, I think it was a she actually was attacking Joe. And I'm like looking at this and I'm saying, I could do a better job with this interview than than she could. So and here you was, are. Well, I'm trying anyway. I'm trying. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I love to be able to find uh, people out there that are doing uh, good podcasts, good interviews. We were introduced through Josh Kincaid of the Talking Hedge, who, yep. who happens to be our Washington State correspondent on our weekly news show called We Talk News. But let's get back to the beginnings of MJ BizCon when you were involved with it and running it. Correct. Yes. Um, so to kind of give you the origin story there, um, I have been um, producing trade shows and creating business media assets and owning my own companies prior to coming into the cannabis space. Um, when people ask, when did you get into the space? It's always kind of, you know, what, what's your level of street cred? Well, I could say that I, I actually entered the space when I was probably about 15 and had an herbal distribution business in high school. Um, so it's not I haven't been a stranger to cannabis uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, back in uh, 2012, I had um, uh, built up a company with my wife, Kim, who's my business partner, the current venture and life partner um, called World Tea Media. We produced the largest trade show in the world for tea. We had an online learning platform to create uh, to teach people to be tea sommeliers. We had a digital um, news news platform. And we actually had a global tea camp competition called the World Tea Championships and created a Parker Wines uh, rating system called the World Tea Ratings uh, for tea. So. 
Um, we exited that business back in 2012. Um, typically, when you exit a trade show, there's an earnout period where you know manage, there's continuation of management. So I stayed on board through 2014. And a friend of mine called, uh, actually, a friend of a friend called me up and said, hey, George, I heard you're going to be free. Let's start a pot show. And I'm like, huh? Like, I wasn't really keenly aware of what was happening, um, you know, in Colorado and some of these other states who are starting to pass ballot initiatives. And he said that we could be partners and I could run it. And I said, great, are you going to put up the money? He says, I don't have it. So, um, you know, ideas are cheap. Um, investments, uh, you know, investment capital tends to be a commodity uh, most of the time. Um, and it really comes down to is execution, right? You need operators that can execute on a business plan. Um, at that time, um, uh, he had had a conversation, the guy had a conversation with the owners of then called MMJ Business Daily. Um, they had one full-time employee, Chris Walsh, who's now the CEO of that company. Um, and, and they had done um, some very small conferences, one at a Masonic Lodge in 2012. Um, not that there was a lot of doors opening up for somebody to have a cannabis conference to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then they did another one up in Seattle at a uh, Emerald Downs racetrack where they had 20 tabletops, you know, out in the foyer outside of a single conference room. So it wasn't really even a trade show at that point. Um, they were in the process of rebranding everything to cannabis business media, and they felt that, you know, marijuana was starting to have some stigma around it. And so they asked me if I would step in and run the run that company for them, and I did. Um, I built all the infrastructure, um, uh, financial systems, um, and professionalized the event and rebranded everything under the MJ Biz brand. Um, was able to scale that show up very significantly to well over a thousand booths and was the one who got him into the Las Vegas Convention Center. Um, you know, I unfortunately had an executive divorce um, over some contract provisions that the owners and I had uh, some disagreements on that were settled out of court favorably for me, um, but that's not an admission of guilt. Um, so, you know, fast forward is that when I was running that event, um, and I think this is where, where, where I'm super excited about what's happening right now. Yep. There was a, the, 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 the cannabis industry changes very rapidly, right? And it's, it's, it's every industry grows and goes through certain paradigm shifts. Mm-hmm. And back in 2014 and 2015, 16, even 17, you know, a lot of new states were coming online and, and certainly the Western United States, Colorado, California, Oregon, you know, Arizona, um, Washington, and people needed to stand up these licenses. They didn't know what cannabis retail looked like on a legal, in a legal market. Um, They didn't know what a packaged cannabis product necessarily looked like. You know, yeah, you had your homemade brownies and you had, you know, the weed you could buy off the street. But, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't necessarily a consumer packaged goods that you'd find in a a supermarket someday in the future. Um, So, you know, the need for the infrastructure, the supply side of the industry was very strong. People needed equipment. They needed software. They needed technology. Um, they needed solutions to set up their operations. They needed capital too. And I think ArcView did a phenomenal job stepping into that space in the very early days. Um, but what happened then kind of like 2017, 18, you know, we started seeing the rise of the MSOs. Um, we also saw that there was this land grab. We all have to race to the next new market and get a license. Um, and that went on for a couple of years. Um, and then the public market access with the Canadian Stock Exchange and everybody's like, we can get money from the public markets. And, and so there was this kind of weird kind of quasi capitalization of the market. Um, you have the bigger players that were able to, you know, really get some substantial financing to be in a position to kind of pot bully the markets, so to speak, of acquiring licenses in states. You know, you look at Illinois, I mean, it's a handful of big players that are dominating that market. It's not set up very, you know, you know kind of independent operator friendly. 
not to say that it won't become that, but you know, that's where they're at right now. So, but what I always knew when I was running MJ BizCon was that the cannabis industry is a consumer packaged goods industry. And if you look at every single CPG industry, natural products expos, you know, for the natural products industry, consumer electronics, bar and nightclub show, the event needs to be focused around the brands and the retailers. They're the vanguard of our industry. They're the ones winning the consumers. And, and we've moved away from this land grab, uh, not that there's not exciting new states coming online and, and you know, potentially going from medical to rec or even you know, going straight to recreational in the years to come. But the idea of going out and acquiring a license and spending you know, maybe upwards of a million dollars to get that license and then having to set up an entire different business operation that's gonna to have to operate independent from wherever other state you're operating in isn't the most efficient application of capital where brands are starting to realize I can go and partner with another brand or manufacturer in another state and they can manufacture my product and maybe I'll manufacture theirs. And I can start building a national footprint instead of through you know, license acquisition, but through license partnerships or license agreements. Um, so long story short, and I know I'm long-winded, um, like I said, beginning of the call, you can ask my wife. Um, you know, this, this, is, this, is, this is a CPG industry and we're super excited because this is where we go next. Um, you know, the focus is on brands and we're going to start seeing the relationship move from the retailer to the brands and creating that relationship just like you go to a bar and order Jack and Coke, you're going to go and get uh, a Wana or a, a, a you know, can or yep. some other product. You're going to be you're going to build your relationship with the brands. Yeah. Interesting. And of course, uh, so you take us to the current day. It was a 10 year anniversary of MJ BizCon. And yep. at the same time, you launched your own uh, event called MJ Unpacked that was actually being run at about the same time. Uh, yeah. I think you you took your I think you took a day less. Was it two days, MJ Unpacked? Yeah, we did a two day event. We're not trying to pack thirty thousand people into an event because there's not a return on objectives. Like, how do you figure out who's purposeful to talk to? And right. we're not trying to drive that relationship building through badge scanning because that's not really meaningful either. That maybe creates a warm lead at best, and eighty percent of them are never followed up on. So, you know, how do what we did is we really focused on how do we deliver value. We don't want to be the premier, the biggest, the most influential, or the most trusted. And I don't know who that's trusted by, but you know what we want to do is we want to create the most valuable event for a very specific part of the audience that we think is the most important. And that's the brand and the retail executives and, and meet the needs of the moment. Um, we know that for a brand to go and exhibit at a national show and have to pay like $6,000 for a booth and probably twice as much more to set that booth up, that's a terrible investment of capital. You know, we can we can set them up so that they can have a brand showcase at our event. They can put their product on display like it would look in a retail store. Um, and so they can communicate and they can meet with brands from other states. They can meet with retailers from other states. They can meet with uh, investors. And, and that's what these brands need, because there's this you know tsunami of capital coming in from the, the farm, you know, most likely from alcohol and tobacco, possibly pharmaceutical or other CPG industries that has huge bank accounts huge teams, huge operational efficiencies. And when we nationalize the cannabis and have a federally regulated program, we're going to lose a lot of really amazing companies and a lot of amazing products. And quite frankly, I don't think the cannabis industry should be run by the thought leadership of alcohol or tobacco. We need new leadership that has the, that, that has the origins in cannabis that can create a much more safe and responsible recreational vice industry, right? And a medical industry. Well, absolutely. And you mentioned medical because I always harp on this and I have a medical card in Massachusetts. That program came in in 2013. And 
people forget that this is truly a medicinal product. It's been used medicinally for thousands of years while it's been prohibited and stigmatized in this country since the 1930s, 1937 with the tax, the tax act. And I, you know, you mentioned the stigma. I, we all, anybody in this industry can feel it, if not on a daily basis, on a somewhat regular basis, whether yeah. you're trying to do banking or just trying to, to have an event. Oh, you're in the cannabis space, man, you must be making a lot of money. Well, this Talk is one of the this businesses running a cannabis retail. Right, exactly. And, and now I want to ask about the importance because the MSOs have to be, have to kind of, give the lift to the beginning of an industry. And I see that happening. And now they're starting to scoop up other little companies. But the necessity of having a strong group of multi-state operators is important to a young industry, isn't it? Yes, yes it is. And listen, this isn't like, you know, the small guy versus the big guy, right? I mean, they're both important parts of the ecosystem, right? I mean, you need you need the shrimp and you need, or you need the krill and you need the whales to kind of make the ocean kind of, you know, keep on turning. Right. And so, um, you know, for the MSOs um, and and I'm impressed, there's a lot of of pretty responsible stewards that are working inside some of those organizations. Yes, there's some people that are just looking, you know, to monetize it. But, you know, I think that 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 universally or at least, you know, mostly that we see that, you know, some of these executives that are representing the industry on CNBC because the small guys aren't on there, um, you know, are are you know, understand the the origins, the the legacy, the importance, the medical benefits of this, and how this can really be a transformative, you know, uh, industry for the world. Um, you know, you look at the harm, um, you know, reduction that cannabis can provide both physiologically and socially, you know, compared to alcohol, um, it's massive. And I, I do believe that in 10, 15, 20 years from now, we're not going to go out to a bar or nightclub to get wasted and be hung over the next morning and you know, we're going to probably go and, and get high and have a much more elevated experience. You're probably going to put a few bouncers out of work. Um, and, you know, people aren't going to be hung over and they're not going to be destroying their, their organs as a function of, you know, consuming too much alcohol. But, you know, going back to it's been around for thousands of years. So fun fact for your audience and for you. Um, when I was working in the tea industry, everybody knew that tea was um, allegedly discovered by Emperor Shen Yong. 5,000 years ago, um, who was known as the, the father of modern herbal medicine and was said to have a translucent stomach. So he would take herbs and different plant medicine and would be able to see the effect it was having on his body. And what I didn't know when I left the tea industry and got in the cannabis industry, I'd be working for the same guy because actually Emperor Shen Young um, wrote about using cannabis for medical purposes 5,000 years ago. Yeah. Now, now, he didn't spell his name Y-O-U-N-G, does he? No, it's uh, uh, not at all. It's uh, N-O-N-G is the last name. S-H-E-N-N-O-N-N-O-N-G. That's it. Look, I'm, I'm certainly uh, familiar with the Cy Youngs of the world, the Neil Youngs in the music area, but I'm not related to any of them. But I'm proud of my heritage unto itself. Um, it's more talk- of a descriptor for you. It's, you know, you're kind of a forever young kind of guy. That's right. I appreciate that. And I and, and let me tell you, that's about the only thing that is young in my body. OK, because the <laughs> body is really an old athlete's body and it's broken down. Let's just not go there. OK, All right. but I want to get back to some of the issues in the industry. We talked a little bit about the role of the MSOs. As you know, there's a lot of um, groups out there led by Steve D'Angelo in the last prisoner project looking to expunge a lot of the records and get every prisoner who has is behind bars 
out of jail, especially for those that have been incarcerated for possession crimes for you know very little possession, if you will. And and obviously we have had many more arrests of people of color by law enforcement than we have of the people in white, even though both races use it equally. Uh, that being said, the social injustice and the social justice component of this industry is what a lot of people, including Senator Cory Booker out of Jersey, continues to rail about at the federal level. Uh, how important is it to you as you look at this to give the people that have been most impacted by the failed war on drugs an opportunity to have a piece of the pie or the piece of the bud in this case? Yeah, um, uh, incredibly. And so, um, you know, this is paramount. And let's let's be honest. I mean, it is undisputable that, you know, our cannabis or at least drug laws in general have uh, been used for, you know, racist, um, you know, uh, profiling, um, racial profiling, targeting communities of color more than, 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 than white people or Caucasians. Um, and it is also ridiculous that somebody would be in prison for using plant medicine. So let's call it what it is. They're not prisoners, they're hostages. Um, and so we, we need to make sure that we're, we're, we're fighting to get them released, period. Um, yeah, I'm really proud that and, and I've always felt that, you know, as a media asset that we have a responsibility to the industry to um, lift up those heroes that are doing the work that we all need to support. Right. So we did a benefit concert at our first event. Um, Jim Belushi, uh, Dan Aykroyd came out. Thank you, guys. Um, we did a phenomenal Blues Brothers concert at the House of Blues um, and collectively between, you know, an auction that we did on our show floor and uh, the concert and some other donations made, we raised over $70,000 for the last prisoner project at the last event. Um, we're going to be doing the same at every one of our events. And it may, you know, we may expand where, what are the groups we can help. Um, so there's two, two issues here. One is, um, you know, we need to free the hostages, right? Um, these, are, these are our brothers and sisters that are in jail for something that we're allowed to do very legally, whether it's smoke pot, have pot in our person, or even sell pot or grow pot, right? Like, you know, why, why are they still in jail is ridiculous. It's kind of like, why don't we have safe banking? It's ridiculous. Um, you know, but then the other side of it um, is, is the legacy market. And, you know, it's, it's, the, so maybe they haven't been thrown in jail yet, yet, but you know, how is that, how are we bringing that part of the market forward? I mean, you know, we have people in California that generationally have been growing weed and supplying our entire country is estimated to be a $50 billion market before legalization which made it an unusual industry because it wasn't a new product. It wasn't a new market. It was an existing market moving from the shadows to a tax and regulated state. Um, you know, I, I'm not a subject matter expert, but it certainly seems as though the way California kind of addressed some of the legacy, you know, growers and stuff to move forward was, hey, we're not going to ask, don't tell, we're going to amnesty you and grandfather you in and you can get a license and operate in the legal market. But at the same time, they're saying, but if you don't, we're going to come after you. And, and the other option of if they do is means that they're going to have to all of a sudden pay all these taxes, regulations, fines, everything else. Um, and, and they're kind of putting a gun to their head saying either we're going to come after you if you don't go legal. And if you do become legal, we're probably going to bankrupt you because we're going to make it so punitive for you to operate in the legal market with the 280 tax code you know, constantly changing regulations and the tax that we're taking on the product. And then, by the way, we're not going to enforce this against most of the black market in California. I'm sorry, it shouldn't be referred to as black market, the illicit market in California. 
Um, I like and, legacy, by the way. Yeah, I like the legacy market. market. Right? Legacy yeah. market. And so it's, it's tough. I mean, there's not an easy answer. And like I said, I'm not a subject matter, matter expert. I know that New York is certainly trying to really perfect this. I know Steve is, is D'Angelo, who is, you know, deserves everybody's admiration and gratitude for the work he's done to advocate for this industry and, and support the industry by being a founder of ArcView, being a founder of NCIA, being, you know, the founder of Last Prisoner Project. And I know he's got some new projects in the work that are also going to be really important for our industry. So, um, you know, it's, we need to make sure that we, we this, this has to be inclusive. Cannabis, can't, you can't say cannabis and, 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 and not have it be inclusive. Right. Absolutely. Um, one of the top stories on our new show this week will be the uh, video that the candidate for Senate in Louisiana released uh, the other day. Where he is, that, you know, have you seen it? You know exactly what I'm talking about. I, no, I haven't. I can't wait to hear about it, though. Oh, my God. You have to see it. Gee, I wonder. Now, I know Dan has this video um, already queued up for our new show, but uh, I don't think there's any way that we can roll it. Every 37 seconds, someone is arrested for possession of marijuana. Since 2010, state and local police have arrested an estimated 7.3 million Americans for violating marijuana laws, over half of all drug arrests. Black people are four times more likely to be arrested for marijuana laws than white people. States waste $3.7 billion enforcing marijuana laws every year. Most of the people police are arresting aren't dealers, but rather people with small amounts of pot, just like me. I'm Gary Chambers, and I'm running for the U.S. Senate, and I approve this message. And it's really the first time that you see a, an, a politician, someone who's running for office, smoking on camera and explaining about the um, injustices that have been part of this world for many, many years. Um, and I will be sharing the uh, video with you after this interview, I promise. It's well, also well, Dan, be- Dan, keep your, keep your figure on the sensor button because all I gotta say about that is yeah. Um, <laughs> listen, the more that we can put this in, into the mainstream media and, and really, you know, um, listen, I, I'll move down to Louisiana and vote for the guy. And, and yes, it's, there's some publicity stunt to that and, and, and everything else. And, and it's certainly, um, uh, you know, risque to, you know, capture a national media attention, you know, the same way I've like watched videos, a guy going in court being sentenced to, you know, for marijuana possession, lighting up a joint in front of the judge. Um, yeah. So, you know, everybody's got, we've got, we've got to fight and, and, and protest in, in the ways that we can, um, you know, as, as somebody who's really loves and is passionate about bringing together people that can be meaningful and be productive and, create a return on experience and objectives and, and investment. Um, like, you know, doing that type of hero work every day in, day out. I know like Mary Bailey and Steve D'Angelo and, and, and the whole Last Prison Project team are so passionate about that. So how do I lift them up, right? And um, love working with them. Another thing that we're really proud of what we're doing is we have a partnership with our academy. Uh, Hillary Yu out of San Francisco, she uh, created a pre-accelerator for Black-owned or BIPOC-owned businesses and social equity candidates. And what she can do is she can help them, you know, build, take their idea, their dream. It's called Art Academy, Our Dream. Take their dream, build it into a business plan, build it into a pitch deck so she can raise capital. Right. Um, that's very time intensive. And she's, you know, please go to our academy and sign up to be a mentor. Um, if you're in the industry, it, they, they could use the help. Um, and yeah. I will do and, that. I, yeah, by the way, I'm a mentor for 
hundreds of young people in the broadcast business. I'm very proud of that, actually, more than anything else I've ever accomplished in my career, because I believe in giving back. Certainly, when you get to be my age, you yeah. want to share some of the experiences you've had with others. Give um, back where you have an abundance of wealth and you've got an abundance of experience, right? So you can give back that experience. If you sell your company for $120 million, give back $12 million to, to support the advocacy. And that's not directed at anybody in particular. Okay. Um, By the way, we but, only need we only need five hundred thousand for seed money right now. Okay, just want yeah. to throw that out there in this interview. Uh, but go ahead. But the thing the thing I love about our academy is what we can do, and our event is designed to do, is we can put those you know future entrepreneurs, those BIPOC owned business, those social equity applicants, we can put them on stage in front of a group of investors and help them get funding. We can put their product on our show floor to create awareness and branding for them, and we can help them. Basically, we can kind of light the match to get them the rocket fuel to take off. And, um, you know, we had a, a pitch session where all of the um, graduates of, of Hillary's cohort, you know, did a presentation. There wasn't a dry eye in the room. There was not a dry eye in the room. I mean, these people deserve the support of our industry and access to capital is also one of the biggest hindrances to seeing the type of diversity in the cannabis industry uh, ownership and, and equity um, just as much as, 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 you know, anything. Right. Um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the MSOs and, and the injustices and the opportunities and the, the, the challenges of social equity applicants to get capital. Are you starting to see some of these MSOs creating funds or the same Absolutely. kind of incubation? Absolutely. So, so again, what I hear, what I hear is socially responsible capitalism going on in this industry, which makes me very proud. And I'm guessing you like that, too. Sure, love it. Um, you know, Grow Generation just made a big announcement that they've created a program to help support, um, you know, minority-owned businesses. Um, you know, Chima um, uh, from Cresco Labs, um, you know, came and spoke at our last event and you know developed this this seed program at, at Cresco Labs. And, and listen, they're 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 in they're in. They recognize that if they don't do the right things as a leader and steward in this industry. If they just look at this transactionally, if they just look at this from a profit motive, then, then, then we're not better than anything that's come before us. And we are better because the product's better. I love that. Absolutely. We're just Absolutely. History on this one. We're just, we're just not on the right side of the law. I get, I get that. And um, I do know that you are coming this way in, um, for MJ Unpacked in New York in a few months. Am I right? Yeah, we're super excited about it. Um, our event will be in May in New York. You can go to mjunpack.com for more information. Um, and again, this is an event that is exclusively for cannabis, CPG brand, and retail executives that have a title of manager or higher. So over 50% of the people that came to our last event were from the C-suite. Um, they came from all over the country. And it was the first time that there was actually cannabis brands on display in a single event from every adult use market in the United States and retailers from every adult use market in the United States in attendance. Um, and so we want to grow on this um, and we'll be, going, we'll be going back to Las Vegas in the fall of 2022 as well. Um, we've got a few other projects in the works. I um, you know, don't want to tip my hand too much. It's a competitive space, the, the trade show space. It's, it's, it's funny, um, but you know, we're building this company based on the principle of hospitality and on the principle of serving the industry first and foremost. Yeah, I'm guessing that the acquisition of MJ Biz for 120 million actually helps your cause if you're going out there raising funds. Yeah, sure. right? It's a great comp. Um, you know, there's I have a lot, a lot more insights than the average person onto all the mechanics of that deal because I've been in the trade show space and 
and been involved with the groups that, you know, the large companies that are strategic buyers like Emerald Exhibitions, Clarion, Tarsus, uh, Informa, you know, it goes on and on. And, you know, trade shows can be very profitable enterprises, um, you know, but it's, it's how, how, you know, at what point do you just become, you know, too big to be meaningful to people, right? And I think this, this, is, it, this is also where I believe, and this is not, you know, any shot at MJ, MJ Biz, but it's just the reality. It's, you know, the industry has changed. People do not need to go and look for light bulbs and label makers at that scale anymore. What they need is to be looking at where is where are the brands? Who's going to be the first national brand? There isn't one until we have a national market, by the way. Um, but who's going to be the first national brand? Is it going to be Wana? Is it going to be, you know, Select? Is it, you know, uh, all these brands out there, Mindy's from Cresco? Um, is it going to be Old Pal, who owns, by the way, zero cannabis licenses and is now, I think, in 10 states? Um, they've built an incredible brand because they're not using their capital to go and acquire a license and set up a building. They're going to go to a producer and say, hey, we need you to manufacture. Here's our specs. Here's our packaging. We'll put a sales team out in the, in the field. And they're killing it. And you think that's a model that uh, is a sustainable model and might be more and more replicated as this industry continues to grow? Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, if we if we issue licenses, you know, across the entire spectrum from testing, production, you know, manufacturing, you know, cultivation, retail and stuff like that in every state. I mean, at some point, you know, when you look at the kind of where the transition points and, and things, obviously, safe banking, we need to get that done so bad just to normalize interest rates for this, the independent operator, possibly even open up access to SBA loans and even just bank loans, um, you know, collateralizable bank loans. Um, from mainstream America, bank and financial industry, um, it would be so meaningful, but would really help support a lot of the independent operators in the space. Um, but, you know, when you look at the MSOs, I mean, there's only a finite number of licenses, and eventually they're going to want to shut down a lot of the uh, upstream supply side licenses and create economies of scale, right? Like the same way, you know, Budweiser, I don't know exactly what states they have when they probably have a big you know, bottling facility in, in Denver, one out on the West Coast, one, uh, you know, the East Coast, the Southeast. And so they can create some economies of scale around those. Um, if we federally legalize, we may start, you know, obviously, you know, would, would open up the opportunities for import and export. And, you know, some countries like Colombia might come online and, and be able to cultivate a very high quality product that can be imported and manufactured cheaper than that product here. Um, you're gonna I, have it's a nickel, I think it's a nickel a gram in Colombia versus 50 cents and above in the United States. Right. So and, 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 and that's a function of labor costs and, and, and cost of land and, and, and property plant equipment, tax structure, other things um, that, you know, on an economic level. But there's also going to be this huge demand for the craft side of the industry. And, and, and we've seen that shift in, in, in consumer behavior, you know, really over the last 15, 20 years. Um, you know, I. I used to be an assistant brewmaster when I was in college. Um, you know, I've always really enjoyed craft beer, right? Like, I mean, you know, there's only so much Coors Light or Miller you can drink before you're like, this is not too good. Right. Although I do enjoy a nice Rainier once in a while from the Pacific Northwest. Um, but, you know, I, I'd rather buy that from a local brewery that might be in my region. Um, you know, we talk about farm to table. Uh, we talk about, you know, climate change and reducing those transportation costs um, and commoditization of industry. So, you know, I might want to go pick up a, a, a pack of pre-rolls that are very low cost um, from a convenience store 10 years in the future. But I also might want to go buy some really nice, high quality um, flour from a grower that's down the road for me. And I know is supporting my local economy. So I think we're going to see a very robust 
specialty premium market. Um, and we're going to probably see a commoditization of the general market probably down the road, five years, 10 years down the road. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about what's going on on the federal side of things right now in this country and not just in Washington, D.C., but there's an incredible divide. And it, and it really bothers me as a child of the 60s uh, when I protested against the war that I thought was unjust and we never should have been there. And, you know, we pointed the finger at the president who ended up putting out that Controlled Substances Act that we're still fighting to this day to get descheduled cannabis off there. You know what is going on. They couldn't even get the filibuster to be agreed upon by these two sides, the Republicans and the Democrats. To me, I'm pretty radical about this. You know, I come from the Northeast. I'm, I'm from Massachusetts. You know, this is a, one country and we are split between two political parties and two distinct different mindsets. And, in, and I don't know if we have the leadership in place or we have leadership even amongst us that can somehow or other fix this. And cannabis is now a political issue, George. Are we, you know, you talked about legalization. I'm not very confident that we're going to see that anytime soon. But do you expect to see any kind of federal cannabis reform during this next Congress? I like like to talk to people that are smarter than me on this. Um, Good friend of mine, Neil Levine. I mean, he's been a policy wonk. Uh, You know, Tom Angel and the reporting he does at Marijuana. That's a great job. Yep. Um, You know, uh, also a friend, Um, you know, you can crystal ball this all the time. I'm an optimist. I want him to legalize tomorrow. Um, right. You know, but, you know, you brought up the point. I mean, we have a broken federal government um, and a dysfunctional um, country right now. And it's sad. Um, you know, I think that that there's, in my humble opinion, there's pretty much two simple fixes. Um, get rid of Citizens United and set term limits. Right. Um, you know, we need to get corporate interests out of Washington because, you know, I mean, it's the Republicans and the, and the Democrats are kind of like, you know, go back and read the Starbelly sneeches, you know, by Dr. Seuss. I mean, they're constantly flipping sides and, and, and cannabis isn't political because there's an overwhelming support, but that's kind of a good thing and a bad thing, right? Um, you know, if it was political, you know, one side or the other could really rally behind it to get its voter support. Um, and then if they were able to succeed in, in, in the federal government and have controlling interests, they'd be able to pass the legislation theoretically. But you know, again, once they get in office, it's like, you know, who's going to write the check at the next, you know, fundraiser dinner to support that. Right. Um, you know, there's, there's arguments and criticisms of people that I think are in, in, in te- have great intentions, but, you know, that are backing bills that will never pass the Senate. And, you know, people that will argue that Mitch McConnell's waiting until his friends in the alcohol and tobacco industry give them the green light to legalize and they're fully prepared to take over the industry. So, you know, all accusations um, and, and opinions, right. But, right. Um, you know, I, I mean, we need, we need better leadership is what you brought up. And, um, you know, if we have term limits and if people understood the, the duty and service and honor of, of serving in, in government at, at the bequest and for the people would be great. But we've created career politicians that are on the grift and serving their own interests and those of their cronies instead of the interests of the people. And that is not a democracy. Right. And so, I worry about that. I really do. I, I, I worry about it every night. And and, yeah. and listen, we, we, we've got a midterm coming up. Um, some people see a, a big, you know, red sweep, you know, but again, opinion and, and in the future. 
Um, you know, and then there's certainly, you know, plenty of people who could, you know, plausibly argue that Donald Trump comes back as the next Republican candidate and obviously has, you know, very clearly tried to undermine our election system in the past election and is going to try to even further try to do that prior to and once he becomes president, right? I mean, people let you know exactly who they are uh, right away. Right. We know who he is. Right. And, and he may be facing um, some serious accusations in his state of New York. Uh, because there's definitely uh, a hunt going on to, to find something. And I don't think it's actually, they don't have to look very hard, to be honest. Yeah, but if you That's talk it. to people, if you talk to people that are, 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 are pro-Trump and you say, how likely is your opinion going to change uh, based on new information? They'll tell you zero. You're right. And if, you, if you're on the other side and people, you ask somebody saying, you know, you hate Donald Trump, you know, whatever, how much like, is your, your opinion going to change uh, based on new information? It's going to be a zero. And what we've done is, is we've wedged ourselves into a zero sum game of neither part, neither side's going to budge, and it's just going to further, you know, create that divide. Because you come in and 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 if there are charges brought against him for criminal behavior in a very defined law system, um, it's going to be politicized that this is a witch hunt, that, that he's being framed, and um, it's going to further entrench the right and. Um, you know, it, it, it's the it's bizarre his control over people that we thought were better men and women in the Republican Party. Um, you know, we need more Liz Cheney's, if anything, in this world. And John McCain's God rest his soul. I'll agree, um, I'll agree with both of those things. And I am a little encouraged that at the state level, you're starting to see the Republicans actually initiate legalization at the state level. And that there seems to be that's happening a little bit in uh, Ohio, Pennsylvania, even New Hampshire. I, I'm starting to see that. So I'm a little encouraged with that because, um, you know, I'm really a one issue guy now, George. You know, I'm sorry, but I am, you know, just how I feel. All right. Let's uh, right here. You heard it here, folks. Um, Jimmy and I are going to start the cannabis party. Um, Jimmy will be running for president. I'll be serving as his uh, uh Secretary of the Interior, make sure that we're growing some really good weed in the United States. Um, and by the way, you, Pat Paulson did this. OK, I just want to say, right. He was an old comedian from the 60s. He tried to run for president against the, the Nixons and, and the um, um, whomever was running in the uh, in the uh, 60s and, and 70s there. I was a George McGovern fan. OK, so you know where I stood. And again, I'm, I'm not going to deny it, but I do hate all career politicians they talk out of two sides of their mouths by the way sort of sports talk show hosts i just want to say all right it is a skill it is a skill okay you can do that you can look at both sides of the of a game and 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 analyze it and come up with the same with a winner either but, time but don't don't we deserve better people that are leading our country than people that are, are be, be be compared to a spinmeister on a sports radio show a hundred percent and but i'd like and it goes back to your opinion about term limits what I'd really like to see is our Senate look like our nation. And it doesn't. It just doesn't. They, 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 they don't represent the people of the cities, of the, of the uh, evolving economies that, that we're starting to see in this country. And that bothers me. It, it does. They're supposed to be representative of the people. And, that, and, and that's where the, the disconnect is. We anyway. could get Bernie back in office and you could be his doppelganger. I certainly. By the way, that is not the first time at at the CWCB, I'm at a bar. I'm at a bar, okay? And a guy comes up to me thinking, I'm Bernie Sanders. I mean, really? I mean, I'm 64. I'm not that old, all right? I'm going to have you speak at our conference. I'm going to bill you out as Bernie Sanders. 
You know what? Um, we'll get you the mittens and we'll get you a chair so you can kind of sit in the chairman Chairman Sanders pose. I'll bring my own director's chair. Uh, George J., you have been a, a joy to talk to today. And I, and I want to thank you for taking the amount of time that you did because oh, I know how busy you are. Thank you. All right. And uh, that'll wrap it up here for another edition of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. And a reminder to like, share and subscribe. And this is how I end all of my shows. And if anybody's never seen me do an interview or, or newscast or whatever I do these days, it's a whole new world of weed. Use it responsibly. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Weed Talk and In the Weeds are two productions of pro-cannabis media supported by Revolutionary Clinics, one of the top medical cannabis dispensaries in the Massachusetts area. Now with three locations in Greater Boston, two in Cambridge and one on Broadway in Somerville. Rev Clinics has a patient-first mission. They will customize your needs as a medical patient with the proper titration and combination of strains, flavors, and products. Rev Clinics, where the patient comes first. Difference is building a solution for that individual. Not just a custom, here's a box, here's a video, here's how you make your VMS. We custom design and custom build every situation for exactly what the customer needs. And we keep the cost low. We have multiple tiers, you know, as far as what you're looking at on the cost side of things. If you want a one-time, you know, where you just pay one initial cost, we have that. If you want to maintain your system and have the highest protection and highest capabilities and highest upgrades at all times, we have different plans for you. But we scale it so it's scalable and affordable 100%. Media programming is available live and on demand on our Facebook page at ProCanna Media, on Instagram at ProCannabis Media, on LinkedIn also at ProCannabis Media, on YouTube and YouTube Live on ProCannabis Media, Twitter at ProCanna Media, and on twitch.tv backslash ProCannabis Media. So like, share, and subscribe to all of our content, newsletters, and shows live or on demand. We are Pro Cannabis Media.